Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. And Merry Christmas! Ho, ho, ho! Do I sound like Santa? I'm not sure that I do. But I know you are looking forward to this. It is a holiday tradition here on WGN. A Pets Night Before Christmas. Yes, so get your recorders ready. Do they even make recorders anymore? I don't know. He is one of my dear friends in veterinary medicine. He is an amazing man because, among other things, he's done it all. I mean, everything. So he, if you had a dog or a cat, you might see a veterinarian like him, a small animal practitioner. He's worked in academia. He's worked specializing in cancers. He's worked at a zoo as a zoo veterinarian and also animal shelters. There isn't anything else he could do, I don't think, as a veterinarian. His name is Dr. Mark Goldstein, and among many other credits, he is the author of, get the name of this book, Lions and Tigers and Hamsters, What Animals Large and Small Have Taught Me About Life, Love, and Humanity. Hello, Dr. Goldstein. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I'm always happy to speak with you, as you know. And we spoke, I don't know, it was about approximately, not quite, a year ago. And I promised, and and I know you're open to talk about this, uh, that if you're here in a year, I will have you on every year, which means I've got to be on the radio for many years to come. Uh, Talk about what I am talking about. Well, first of all, Steve, what you beautiful words you just said next year from your ears, uh, from your lips to God's ears. Um, yes, folks, I am was diagnosed 16 months ago now with pancreatic cancer, the most aggressive form. And why do we both have sort of a laugh in our uh, voices, Steve and I? Because I'm beating, I'm winning, and I hope that gives everybody listening a sense of optimism. I've gone through chemotherapy, I've gone through surgery. Um, I just have so much to live for. I have, and I'm going to keep fighting. I feel good. And that puts me in about 5% of people that get diagnosed with this disease. And I plan on doing this for a number of years. So, uh, you know, I just, life's too, uh, you know, worth living to give in to something like this. And I'm a fighter. Uh, Indeed you are. And I I want to talk about the human-animal bond, and we'll do that in a moment. You spoke at, at the Fetch Veterinary Conference, a keynote talk. Uh, in San Diego, it was just about, not quite a year ago, and I think you were interrupted constantly with applause, and a couple of times with standing ovations, my friend, from your colleagues. These are all veterinary professionals. I know people who are veterinarians stop you on the street. You've become kind of a hero of sorts in the veterinary world, and it's not because you're ill. It's because of this optimism that you exude at a time when the profession needs it most. That's that's a great statement, Stevie, especially the last part. We both know that there's been figures thrown around publicly and in within our profession about depression, suicide, uh, people being disenchanted with the profession. And th- though I don't deny it very much exists, and for us to ignore it would be a mistake. But just like when I was president of the Inane Society in San Diego, uh, I don't like to sell nonprofit work by threatening people or making them cry. I prefer to do it with a sense of optimism and being positive. Folks, you support your local shelter, they will save that many more animals. Not 
if you don't support it, animals will die. I like the first better, and when we look at our profession, the same thing. We are so lucky to be veterinarians, and I tell my colleagues that. 80% of the people in the country that work go to work to put food on their table, and basically they're doing a job for that purpose. Only less than 20% actually get to do what their passion is. So for anyone listening, whether it's veterinary medicine or physicians or you like making people laugh because you work in a supermarket, we've learned people like that are so important in our life from the pandemic. I approach my profession with a sense of, wow, am I lucky to be in this sacred place? And I call it sacred because of the human-animal bond, because we basically help both sides of that equation in the work we do. Is there evidence to suggest, I, I never thought about this, that the person at the checkout counter is actually a performer of sorts and wants to make people laugh? Oh, Steve, one thing I learned um, from the pandemic, I, I hope I knew it before, was that coming out of it, if you see people now, they're helping you in a restaurant, they're helping you in a market. Um, there are veterinary veterinarian or vet tech who basically are the people behind us that make our jobs better and help us be successful. They're very important to the profession. If you use their name and say thank you, you will see a grin light up on their face. They are often sort of in the background of our lives, but until we lose them, like we did during the pandemic. And yes, I've seen and I've asked them, why do you do your jobs? I've, I've really had a great time recently asking people, do you like what you do when you get up in the morning? And I'm amazed. Every niche has a group of people that loves it. I mean, yeah, such as the people that work in the market. You know, you're one of those people, and I have other friends like this, that, all right, you're at the supermarket, you're checking out, and you actually say, oh, because the name tag says, that's Gene. Say, thank you, Gene, and have a conversation with Gene. How are you today? I don't know a lot of people that do that. I think we need more of it. However, my problem is without the name tag, by the way, Dr. Goldstein, I would never remember the person's name. Don't be afraid to ask. What's your name? Uh, you know, people, again, just just that recognition. It's just like, it, and where do I learn that from? From animals. You know, you walk on the street, you'll see animals walking. If you suddenly kneel down and go, hi, the animal lights up. Hey, this guy, he cares. You know, when I mentioned, you know, going down, kneeling down, obviously, especially to our younger listeners, be very careful if it's not your animal. Make sure you ask permission. But Oh, Think and that's something, I'm, I'm interrupting you because that's something that's a hot topic for me. Not only asking permission, of course, you know, asking permission, the person handling the dog, it's your dog, can I pet your dog? But also ask the dog permission, it's called consent, this thing now that's happening in dog training. And by the way, I am talking about that very issue, Dr. Goldstein, at a veterinary conference coming up for cats no one has spoken, to my knowledge, about this issue for cats. But let's ask permission first before we do anything with our pets. And then there's a contingent out there, that, oh, no, you're the boss. you got to show you're the boss and all that. Uh, I And I know you <laughs> you just you just uh, expressed your view about that. Yes. But yes. <laughs> you so, got it. <laughs> so, so is this idea of consent something that you're on board with? You know, so many things. The answer is absolutely. And by consent, folks, it's not, um, you know, like we think of it in some of the issues in our society now. But um, it's really just thinking about how you would want to be approached. 
we can learn so much about how to greet people and animals by thinking, what would I want? Well, you wouldn't want a person 10 feet tall towering over you, having their hand come down on your head initially, even if they are friendly and want to say hello, because your first reaction is to get really scared. Same with an animal. You know, that's why I said kneel down, come down on the ground. We've learned that from, you know, our good friend Marty Becker, you know, in Fear Free, um, when the animal comes in your clinic office now. And I didn't realize I did it my whole life, but I was doing the right thing. (laughs) And that was when the animal comes in my office, I go down on the ground so we meet on eye level. Cats, the same. Dogs, cats, approach them the same. Don't immediately pick a cat up that you don't know especially. That would be like somebody grabbing you from behind. Mm-hmm. And, whoa, um, you know, come down, let them approach you. If you want to approach them, do it in a friendly manner. Realize that coming on a, over them is much more threatening than putting your hand down below them. Again, not only just ask permission, but even if you get permission, the first time you meet a different animal, make sure your face is not too close. Make sure your hand is, so you're, you've got your knuckles as opposed to your fingers. You know, that's the secret, folks, to why veterinarians can still count to 10 after 40 years of practice, <laughs> because I haven't lost one. I've come close, um, but that's the exception. So, yes, I think there's a way to approach animals, which will ultimately, if your purpose is to get friendly with them, the outcome has a much greater chance of being successful. Well, having been a zoo director, you could probably talk about how to approach everything from an orangutan to a black bear. We won't do that now, but what we will do when we come back, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation with the incredible Dr. Mark Goldstein if there wasn't this thing called the human-animal bond. What is that? We'll find out from a man who probably has some ideas. Next on WGN. So I want to remind you, and I didn't talk about this last week, and I meant to, so I will right now. Christmas plants. So poinsettia. And, and you hear all about the stuff online and, and everywhere, even happily, at places that sell p- poinsettia plants. Dangerous to pets. Well, they're not good for pets, but the whole thing is an old wives' tale. Now, after hearing what I'm about to say, please don't encourage your pet to eat a poinsettia plant. But generally, those red leaves taste so bad that they, they spit them out. I mean, they don't want them anyway, and it doesn't make them sick, typically. Typically, sometimes a bit sick, but it's overdone. Still, it's not a healthy treat for pets. The same is not always true for fresh holly. And while you can kiss under fresh mistletoe, you do not want your pet sampling. And the beauty of amaryllis is only matched by its toxicity. Those are the holiday plants to really be careful of. Now, you've been waiting for this. Are you ready? <clears throat> Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, especially the mouse, because the mouse knows who's in the house. Oh, there's Fido, there's Fluffy, there's Duchess and King, on Rover, on Scruffy, with that squeaky thing. Go by the red hydrant, run past the trees, Nothing can stop you, not even the fleas. They heard a tinkling on the roof. You know how reindeer are when you gotta go. And the prancing of each little hoof. Then down the chimney, St. Nicholas, he was greeted with a purr and a bark and a bite on his Nicholas. He came with squeaky toys, rawhide and liver to deliver. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, 
Oh, how merry. When Rover licked his nose, it tasted like sherry. He sprang to his sleigh. With his team, he gave a whistle and said, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. You know, Christmas is about peace on earth and goodwill toward one another. What does that have to do with pets? We know people who abuse animals are more likely to be violent to other people. I've talked about that. And my hope is that if people are kinder to animals, we may be kinder to one another. As Mahatma Gandhi said, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. From all of my heart to all of you, for all of these years on WGN Radio, it's a pleasure to once again say happy holidays to you all and a happy and healthy new year. And we'll talk to you next week right here.